Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be uh, taking an advanced peek at fathers because of upcoming Father's Day. Um, it's interesting that uh, in 2006, uh, the role of fathers really is at a crisis point in a lot of ways. There are so many families that have been abandoned by fathers through divorce or through um, emotional abandonment, fathers getting uh, very wrapped up in their own life, such as workaholics, for example. And I think one thing that most fathers or many fathers don't realize is that is just how important they are to the psychological development of their children. We have seen today so many instances of girls, little girls growing up and um, be getting involved with men who are uh, not right for them at best and uh, dangerous to them at worst. Why does this happen? Because of the relationships that they had or missed out on with their fathers. They're looking for attention from a male figure, a father figure, and they often will glum onto, uh, in desperation, the wrong kind of guy. And um, same thing with boys. It's uh, not exactly the same psychodynamics, but uh, boys, little boys, teenage boys, need a father around as a role model. And so many things, so many boys wind up going down the wrong path. Why? Because they don't have a father who's involved in their life who cares enough to show them what to do to, to live a responsible life. And, of course, part of this, a lot of this, has to do with the skyrocketing divorce rate that has been occurring now for several years um, and doesn't seem to be slowing down. And um, my guest today is someone who actually is trying to work on the other end of this problem. Um, he is an attorney. His name is Jeffrey Leving. He's an Illinois, Chicago, Illinois attorney, and he is the author of a groundbreaking book called Father's Rights. You can tell uh, what he's about. Um, he it comes with uh, advice and direction for fathers seeking custody. And uh, amongst his clients, um, he ha or cases, he has been involved in helping reunite Elian Gonzalez with his father, amongst other things. So. Um, welcome to the show, Mr. Living. Living. I'm, I know I'm going to have Living. Living. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, why don't we start with your reaction to some of the comments that I made as an introduction? Obviously, that's right up your alley. Well, the comments you've made, some of them uh, probably are the reason why the governor of the state of Illinois appointed me to chair the Illinois. Council on Responsible Fatherhood, which is a state commission established by the state legislature to promote the positive involvement of both parents in the lives of their children. Uh, the P Responsible Fatherhood Act was signed into law in August of 2003 by uh, the governor, and the council, which I chair, I run, is composed of 
senators, uh, a state legislator, a county uh, commissioner, uh, a minister, a very significant minister, and attorneys, and uh, Dr. Leon Entrada, who's a very well-known psychologist. And the the real, real purpose, well, there are actually many purposes of the council, but the key purpose is to significantly increase the proportion of children growing up with an involved and responsible father. And that's important because right now 24 million children live absent their biological father in America. And a lot of people think that doesn't matter because many people believe father absence uh, is not a problem because children don't need a father. I believe it was Margaret Mead who once said, fathers are biological necessities but social accidents. But if you look at these statistics, you'll see that children who live absent their biological fathers on average are more likely to be poor, to use drugs, uh, to experience educational and behavioral problems. If you look at the top of page 47 of my uh, book, Father's Rights, or if you look at uh, my website, dadsright.com, uh, you'll see that little girls that are father absent are more likely to become victims of sexual abuse and rape. And the reason that's, that's interesting is because if you study the consequences of father absence on, on girls, if you look at, at the movies and television as, uh, as well as much of the print media, the portrayal of sexual abuse of children always focuses or usually focuses on a strict formula, and it's never the butler, it's never the uncle, it's never the mother, it's always the dad. But the evidence, the weight of the evidence is clear. What magnifies the risk of sexual abuse for children, especially little girls, is not the presence of a father, but his mm -hmm. absence. Mm -hmm. And these are serious problems. Yes, because it's more likely to be the stepfather or, or some man who the mother brings home, some, uh, some of her boyfriends. Exactly, and it's very frightening. And also another startling reality is the most reliable predictor of crime in America is father absence. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know that children need involved loving fathers. Now, one thing I do disagree with, uh, uh, and this is sort of a common thought in our society, is that most fathers abandon their children and walk away in our deadbeats, and that's not true. Most dads either are dead broke uh, they're not deadbeat, or they're pushed out of the lives of their children. But irrespective of whether what the reason is, the key is how how do we correct this problem? Okay, but but let me just um, speak to that. Um, you know, I, I think I knew we were going to have some parts that we were going to disagree with, particularly when it comes to custody issues. But um, you know, I think that there are a lot of fathers who. Um, I'm not talking so much about whether they wind up supporting financially their children or not, but I think they're really, I mean, I certainly have seen um, in my experience as a psychiatrist not only treating patients but also in um, uh, expert witness work with divorces and, and custody battles and all of that. Uh, well, obviously in custody battles, the father does want a part of, of the child's life, but there are so many ch children or so many fathers who... Um, because they're not satisfied in their own life, because they're still looking for something, because they're, they want to be Peter Pan and they haven't really grown up. Um, they're looking for something else. So many of them are willing to sort of uh, buy, you know, that, that ethos that um, they're not really that important to the family. And, 
and tell themselves that in order to be able to walk away. Obviously, these aren't the people who you deal with because you're dealing with the fathers who want as much custody or at least some custody as they can get. Well, I, I deal with all types of fathers because I, I represent many fathers with different needs uh, you know, throughout the country. I mean, there, there are fathers that are uh, emotionally detached from their children that do walk away. There are fathers that don't walk away, but their children are father absent because uh, they work incredible hours and, yeah. and they're not there. But there, but there are also fathers. And keep in mind, those types of fathers, when they come to me, I try and get them to see a, a good mental health professional yeah. who could advise them as to the importance of their role in their children's lives. But usually fathers such as that, my role is often trying to help educate them as to the importance of their role in their children's life, but usually my role is primarily litigating financial issues and property mm -hmm. issues, but the bulk of my clients are fathers uh, that don't have a ton of money, and what they really want to do is they want to be there. They, they want to protect their children. They want to uh, help their children meet the future with their dreams, and, and, and they, want, they don't want to end up a Disneyland dad uh, or, or an uncle daddy. They want to really be there, and, and it's difficult because I, the system is somewhat gender-biased against fathers. Oh, now that's interesting. We'll have to get into that. <laughs> Maybe it's different in Illinois than in uh, uh, California, but, you know... Well, I, I don't think so. I think in California it's probably uh, even more gender biased against fathers. Yeah, in California. I mean, I uh, uh, this firm has handled cases in California uh, as well as Illinois and Indiana and Wisconsin. We we handle cases all over the country. I mean, look at the here. I'll give you a good example of a Texas case. Dr. Clara Harris. She uh, is convicted of murdering her husband, and subsequently to her murder conviction. She's awarded joint custody of their twin boys. Uh, now, I was sh surprised because if the gender roles were reversed and a mother was convicted, if a father was convicted of murdering the mother of his children, he would never be awarded joint custody in Texas or any state in this country. He probably would never see his children again. Uh, well, so, didn't she, I mean, wasn't she in jail? How did she have custody of her children? Joint custody, which, uh, and I co-authored the joint custody law in Illinois, so I think it would really be impossible for her to function as a joint custodial parent while incarcerated. However, and I, however, that's what the court decided. And I spoke to one of the attorneys in the case who informed me it was ceremonial. Now, ceremonial mm -hmm. to me means it wasn't ordered, so joint custody would actually exist, but it was ordered so there would be a joint custody agreement in form but not in substance. So in a way, it seems as if the mother was almost rewarded by being awarded joint custody, whether it could work or not, and rewarding somebody with a joint custody uh, order after a murder conviction of the other parent, to me, uh, is, is just... Uh, not very functional. Well, I guess this was so that the children could go visit her. Is that right? Well, that could be done with visitation. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we will continue with this uh, discussion when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Jeffrey Loving. So stay tuned, and we'll uh, continue talking about fathers as we head up to this Father's Day.
the powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m., and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since the millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Education, healthcare, environmental protection, the war in Iraq, taxes, poverty, abortion, the economy, crime, social security. It's all around us. What are the key issues? How does it affect you? Whether you stand to the left of the political aisle or to the right, Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner is your platform for straight political talk without an agenda. Melanie, one of the top Democratic strategic communications experts in the country, and her guests, political staffers and consultants behind the elected officials, as well as arts and entertainment icons, discuss the issues relevant to our day-to-day lives. Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner broadcast each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America don't just sit there. Make your point. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about fathers as we head up to Father's Day and the uh, different roles that uh, how life has become more complicated for fathers and their families today in 2006. My guest is Jeffrey Leving. He's an attorney in Chicago, an internationally renowned attorney, um, having gotten involved in some international cases such as Elian Gonzalez, and we'll talk about that later on in the show. But right before the break, we were talking about um, uh, custody hearings and biases. And, um, you know, I, I guess I don't have any... It's hard to have statistics exactly, but I can just tell you from my experiences... Um, mostly in California courts, um, that so many of the times um, I, I believe that the reason why so much, uh, so many times the judges are biased towards fathers, and I know, of course, you'll disagree with that, but um, is because the, the judges, more of whom these days than, let's say, 30 years ago, um, have been divorced themselves, um, identify with the fathers and identify with their desire to uh, be with their children 
uh, you know, during these custody cases, obviously these are fathers who want more time with their children for the most part. And I think that they, their identification with the father causes them um, to, to, to go t- be biased towards benefiting the father. Um, I was just involved in a case a couple of months ago where it was a, a five-year-old little girl um, who was clearly, clearly uh, sexually abused by her father. And I couldn't have explained. I had almost two days on the stand, a day and a half at least, explaining all the different reasons. I had made a list. There were, I think, over ten reasons why it was obvious that, that he had um, sexually abused her. And at the end of all of this, he wound up... Um, giving more custody to the father and totally ignoring the fact that there were all of these issues such as uh, medical exams showing that she had um, genitourinary problems that were consistent with child abuse. There were witnesses from, not of the abuse, but there were witnesses of such as her school teachers who saw how uh, distressed she was to go with her father. There were two times when she went to an emergency room of a hospital, a psychiatric emergency room, because she was a suicidal, a five-year-old little girl, because of the idea that she was going to be going back to her father. I mean, a bunch of different things, and yet this judge... Um, decided that he would reunite her uh, with her father. She had been more with her mother since the, these accusations had come out, and he wanted to even the score and um, gave her more time with the father to make up for some of the time that she had been with the mother. So what do you, what do you think about cases like that? Well, my first question is why didn't the father's lawyer file a motion for a substitution of judges immediately in that case. That would be my question, because ju- lawyers usually know the propensities of judges. No, but the father won. That's what I'm saying. I was oh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the, mother. the mother's lawyer. Why didn't the yeah. mother's lawyer, be, why didn't mom's lawyer file a motion mm-hmm. for a substitution of judges right at the beginning? I mean, when I try cases, um, I know the propensity mm-hmm. of the judge I'm going in front of, and if I don't, I find out. Uh, and... That's how I practice law. I have a, but not every father who is a judge is pro dad. I have, there's a judge in California who's a friend of mine, and we used to uh, represent fathers and fight for fathers' rights before he was a, a judge in California. Uh-huh. But now that he's a judge in California, he is very gender neutral because he realizes his personal issues cannot affect decisions he makes on the bench. So, he would be a good judge for a woman or a man because he's gender neutral. Some judges don't have the ability to detach their personal philosophies from decisions they make on the ju- yeah. on the bench. And there are judges that are pro-male. There are some that are pro-female. There are some that are gender neutral. The key here is is if you're in front of a judge that you know is going to hammer your client because that judge has a gender bias against your client, a motion for a substitution of judges mm. is something I would probably seriously consider and pro and and I and that's something that what I would probably recommend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, I'll, g- I'll give you an example of a case I handled. A very strange outcome. I represented a father who was falsely accused, accused of sexually abusing his three-year-old son. It's a terrible case. I tried the case. It was obvious. It was so obvious that no sexual abuse occurred in the charges that were fabricated that it was actually not that difficult of a case for me to win. I mean, it was just a complete 
circus. But even though I won the case and the father was cleared of these false uh, sexual abuse charges, the judge supervised his visitation rights, and the judge, in his decision, stated he was supervising the father's visitation rights to protect him from future false child abuse allegations mm. by mom. That's interesting. And it was interesting, it was a little bizarre, but I think that wasn't really the reason the judge supervised dad's visitation. I think the real reason was that even though the child hadn't been sexually abused, the child was brainwashed and programmed mm. to believe that he had been sexually abused. So even though the abuse hadn't occurred, the little boy thought it had occurred. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the terrible, terrible uh, cases that occur when when parents use children as tools and, uh, of revenge in litigation, and it's it's not gender specific. Anybody can do it, and it's very sad. Yes, and I guess you must also. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me, and it must frustrate you, since you use psychiatrists and psychologists as expert witnesses. I mean, it's one thing to have a judge or an, well, an attorney is representing his client, but it's one thing to have a judge um, have a bias, and that's bad enough. And I, th I would love to do some courses for judges, you know, to, to get them to understand um, their own unconscious reasons for going one way or the other. But what's even worse is when there are therapists who are biased one way or the other and don't look into themselves and realize that it's because of experiences in their own life that cause them to, to have this bias, uh, aside from money and being, uh, you know, going on the side that pays them. But um, uh, that is just a, a very tragic thing to see. And, and there are um, some people who have been doing this for a very long time who are known to be pro-father or pro-mother who are therapists, and, and they certainly shouldn't be pro-anybody. Well, I, I agree with you uh, 100%. And, one, there are judges that appoint people to conduct uh, psychological and other evaluations of the children, not knowing the full credentials of who they appoint. I, I know one case I worked on where a doctor, I hate to refer to as a doctor, but a doctor was appointed to conduct a psychological evaluation and make a custody determination, and I have a full-time detective who works for me, and I was the third lawyer in the case. Uh, and uh, the first thing I did was I had my detective do a complete background check on this doctor, and he was not a licensed clinical psychologist. Apparently, he received a Ph.D. through the mail. Uh, and uh, so uh, it, it was just unbelievable. I mean, he uh, and he um, uh, had no real background in, in conducting custody evaluations. He was the furthest thing from a psychologist, but he had a Ph.D. So out of curiosity to see how easy it could be, I found a place actually in California that uh, was, gave out doctorate degrees through the mail, and uh, it was actually pretty inexpensive. I think it was around $100, $150. So I sent them a check, and within two weeks, they sent me a doctorate degree. Wow. So you have to be real careful in, in, in knowing who is appointed to do an evaluation because, the, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, I mean, it takes a lot of work to become a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And, but there are people that can even get law degrees from, through the mail, but they, they're not licensed and they can't even sit for the bar exam. But you can buy almost anything through the mail. See, lawyers have to be real careful and know who the experts are, the background of the experts, not just whether they're gender biased or not, but really if they are who they claim yeah, to be. Yeah. And we've, in the last several years, um, I don't know, about the last four years or so, in California, 
they've uh, increased requirements. You know, every year you have to take a certain number of credits to um, to renew uh, to to hear more lectures about um, child custody issues if that's what you want to do. If and about sexual abuse or all kinds of abuse and domestic violence and but you know and that's great except that it doesn't really change um, for a lot of these therapists their biases it just you know makes them a little more informed but it still doesn't inform them about their own psyche and as to why they make certain decisions that they do so it, it people who are I mean let me just tell my listeners if you people are contemplating um, divorce and custody battles and all of that you need to be very careful not only um, that you have a lawyer who knows what, he, what he's doing like my guest obviously Jeffrey Loving does but um, you also need to be sure when you bring your children for psychological evaluations a that the uh, that the evaluator is not biased one way or the other and B um, as Mr. Loving just said that their credentials you know are, are excellent and um, you need to sort of see just how how the they're examining their child, even what your child, even what questions they're asking you, um, whether they seem to be doing this in depth enough. You know, sometimes people will spend like an hour with the child and an hour with each parent and think that they can make the decision that will determine this family's life for like the rest of their life. It, that that just boggles my mind. You know, when people when people uh, make these decisions just so flippantly when really it takes so much. It takes psychological tests. It takes uh, in-depth examinations. It takes seeing each member of the family on numerous occasions. I mean, this is a very, very serious decision that will affect the family forever. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's very, very important. And there's a book out there actually called The Horrors of the Court. I know the title is sort of an offensive title, but it's an interesting book, and, and I read it, and uh, I think every lawyer that does this type of work probably should read that book. But the real key is you have the lives of children hanging in the balance in, in domestic relations court and juvenile court, and often uh, sometimes the decision of an expert becomes the decision of the court, and experts do make mistakes. Uh, it's very important. Sometimes courts make mistakes. I remember a case that I had years ago, uh, in, in Cook County, and uh, I was representing a father who didn't want custody of his boy. He didn't want visitation of his boy. He didn't want any contact, and, and it, it, it was bothering to me. And I tried to convince him to allow me to litigate and try and get him a visitation order so he doesn't lose his boy, and he didn't care. His focus was he wanted to uh, basically... Uh, pay as little support as possible, but in reality, I'm a lawyer. My job is uh, is to represent my clients and represent them zealously, and not judge them. Uh, I, so my firm, we the case we, we tried the case, and the judge gave him custody. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, when I had the decision, I remember it was late at night because I worked long hours and I was tired. And I read the decision, and I couldn't understand it because the judge awarded him custody of three children. He only had one. So I read it again, and I was thinking maybe I need a vacation, you know, because yeah. you know I thought maybe I was just overworking myself. And then I finally realized what had happened: the judge got the case mixed up with another case and awarded him custody of children from another case. Uh, so it was uh, sort of humorous, but it was sort of uh, disappointing and sad because it yeah. it's sort of scary. Yes, yes, and these things do happen. Mm -hmm. Well. Um, you know, when we, we're going to be uh, coming up now to another break, and when we come back, why don't we talk about the Elian Gonzalez case? You might be interested to know that um, 
you were on the father's side. I had been contacted by the attorneys um, who were on the family's side, uh, the opposing attorneys, in other words, to help them to get Elian to stay in the United States with them. <laughs> so we can talk about that when we come back. Obviously, you won. <laughs> but I, I, well, it'll be interesting to hear what your opinion is for why. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about fathers and fathers' rights with my guest, Jeffrey Leving. He's a Chicago attorney and author of the book, Father's Rights. Uh, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, this is Rory Goray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race stars. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leodama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the uh, complicated role of fathers in families and the necessity that children have for their fathers to be in their lives. And my guest is Jeffrey Leving. He is an attorney in Chicago, the author of Father's Rights, and he helps fathers uh, get actually to have more contact with their children. Um, before the break, I, pro I started to uh, promise that we would talk about one of your famous cases. Uh, you were the one who reunited Elian Gonzalez with his father. And I I'd love to hear about how you got involved with that, and I'm sure my listeners would too, and, and what that was like, because um, it, was, it wasn't just about you know, how much time Elian would spend with his father. It was about uh, U.S.-Cuban relations, and the president and everybody else got involved. So tell us about it. Well, I, I first was involved 
at the INS level, and then uh, subsequent to that, I I, I was in, involved at a later level when it ended up in federal court of Miami. Uh, it, it was an interesting case, but what was interesting to me about this case, and I'm sure there are people that would disagree, but if the gender roles were reversed in that case and the surviving parent was the mother, I really believe there would have been no case and the boy would have been returned to Cuba in a New York minute. And this is, case is one of the reasons why I believe there is gender bias in the system. But it was a very difficult case. And I remember a lot of odd things happened uh, in the case. I remember once walking out of federal court in Miami and a mob surrounded me, and they were screaming at me, and uh, and uh, it, uh, law, law enforcement came out of the court and brought me back in there, and then they became angry with me and told me that I should have left through the back door. Mm. Well, I don't think I should ever go into any court courthouse anywhere in this country and have to sneak out. And sit in the back of the bus when you leave. <laughs> exactly, just because I'm um, maybe... Uh, representing a, a client who has an unpopular position in that part of the country, but right. I, but after that I did leave through the back on the last next court day because I didn't want to end up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it was a very very volatile case. I remember I uh, was on a radio a TV show hosted by Geraldo Rivera with the mayor of Miami, and he became very heated in the discussion. And he made some type of comment that he uh, that he talked to the judge on the case, and the judge didn't want me in the case, and something to the effect about him uh, telling me that I wasn't welcome in Miami, and it was a very you know very emotional interview, and that's what the whole case was about. It was just very very emotionally charged, and it was interesting, and I and I'm glad Ilion's back with his father because. His biological father was his only surviving parent, and he grew up in Cuba, and he had a good relationship with his mom and dad, and his mom passed away. And to really work through the healing process, I think he really needed to be with, with the surviving parent, not distant family members. And I even met with the, the maternal grandmother and the paternal grandmother in Washington, D.C., at the Cuban intersection, and they both told me, that if the mother was alive, she—I mean—she would want Ilion to be with with his dad, and I just felt that uh, not just legally, because legally I was doing the right thing, but I felt that I was also doing the right thing morally, because sometimes the law and what one's ethics may be could conflict. And here I felt I was—I was doing what was right on both ends. Well, okay, but then there was the—but but actually, I thought that the. Uh, maternal grandmother um, was, was amongst the relatives. Wasn't she amongst the relatives who were trying to get him to stay in the states? No, the 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 maternal and paternal uh, grandmothers both wanted him returned to Cuba, but he did have a lot of relatives in Cuba. I mean, in Florida. Excuse me, yes. in Florida, that wanted him to remain in Florida. Uh, I know that uh, there was a, a great uncle of his uh, that definitely wanted him to stay in Miami. Yeah. I would probably say almost his entire family that resided in the Miami area wanted him to remain in Miami. There were an exception. There were exceptions. Manuel Gonzalez, who was one of the great uncles, wanted him 
return to Cuba. So there was some internal conflict within the family on those issues. Well, I know um, when the attorneys had contacted me to be on the side of the family in Florida who wanted him to stay here, um, one of the things that they sent me was a videotape of, I guess it was, uh, some governmental officials, I don't know, was that the INS? I don't remember now. But the people who stormed into the house of the relatives to take Elian. And um, part of the reason why they sent that to me was to for me to comment on how psychologically abusive and destructive it was that our government sent in these people with guns and everything else talking harshly to the family um, to grab Elian and take him away. Uh, what do you remember those? Um, I mean, certainly they showed a lot of that in the media, too. Yeah, I, I remember that, and I, I, I wasn't supporting that maneuver in recovering Elian, but one way to look at it, I'm a father, and uh, you know, I'm thinking from an emotional point of view, if my child was kidnapped and I knew where the people were who had my child and refused to return my child to me, I... I probably would support that action in getting my daughter back if I, God forbid, if I was in that situation. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult situation. I mean, legally, Ilion was to be returned to his dad, and it was a very di not difficult situation. Obviously, I was negotiating with the Justice Department. I was trying to effectuate a return through Manuel Gonzalez, uh, who... Uh, is his great uncle who supported his return to Cuba, and then from Manuel, the, then Manuel would bring Ilion to the biological father in Washington D.C., and then and then the father would go back to Cuba. That's what I wanted to do, but apparently uh, they obviously weren't weren't in agreement with me, and he was recovered through law enforcement. And there are people that were very critical of that, very very critical of that. Well, um, was there no way of bringing the father to the United States? I mean, wasn't he going to be coming late? Wasn't the plan when the mother and, and Elian came over and, and she died in the process of, of coming, coming to Florida, wasn't the plan for the father to eventually come over? And couldn't the father have just come to the United States and Elian would have been with his father here? Because the big issue was what kind of life would Elian have in Cuba versus being here? Well, uh, the information I have is the biological father didn't even know Ilion was taken out of Cuba. Uh, the information I have that it was done without his knowledge or consent. Uh, and even though there, are, you know, obviously, I love this country and this is this is my home. I can't sit, you know, sit and judge people who live in other cultures and enjoy those cultures. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to live in Cuba. But uh, that doesn't mean that people who live in Cuba and enjoy living there shouldn't live there and should live in another country. Uh, I, um, you know, there are different cultures, and we, you know, we, we need to respect other cultures, or they're not going to respect uh, us and our culture. Uh, you know, right. Very significant. So the father didn't want to come here. The information I have is that he did not want to come to this country, and he didn't even know his boy was taken here, uh, and, and to you know. And it was, uh, and he was upset. He was. That's the information I have. Well, then, how could the grandmothers have said that um, that it was the wish of the mother to oh, be? Oh no! I mean, if the, what they meant, because they were speaking, they don't speak English, 
And what, what they were communicating was that if they could talk to the mother, meaning if they could talk to the mother in heaven because she right. was deceased, right. she'd want him to be with dad. Now, at this, at this point, even though she took him away from dad without dad knowing. Well, I don't think they were really that angry with the biological mother. I think they were angry, and this is my, my opinion, with what happened. And also, she had a boyfriend that may have manipulated her mm. into doing this. Mm. Oh, yeah. She, she left with her boyfriend. And oh, yes, that's kind of coming back to me, yes. And apparently, from the information I have in this case, it's been over for years, uh, the, that boyfriend had been in jail, and upon release from jail, he met with uh, the biological mother, and they took Ileana and, and just quickly left Cuba without informing the dad. That's the information I have. Mm. It's a real, it's a real, real sad case. Very sad, and it was a, you know, it's a very emotional case. And uh, you know, I remember I re even received a note from Jimmy Carter during the case. Uh, and he stated that he couldn't mediate because he couldn't be impartial because he believed the the, the child should be with his dad. I even received a, a note from the f former president of Uruguay who seemed to have an interest in mediating, but that never occurred, and apparently Castro uh, seemed to be very hostile toward the former president of Uruguay. That's <laughs> Uh, a Cuban diplomat told me that Castro stated that he was uh, a dictator and he was upset about that. <laughs> and he should know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I guess you know it, it got it did. It was a very emotional case, and it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't just about you know who who would be a be the best caretaker, but so much of it had to do with people feeling that. That he would be better off, that he would have a better life here, um, growing up in a free society. But when we come back, I'd like you to tell us what actually um, has become of Elian uh, since since he did go back. So we'll continue with our talk with my guest Jeffrey Loving. He's a father's rights attorney in Chicago. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and stay tuned as we finish up. Unlimited talk at your fingertips, voiceamerica.com. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on voiceamericaradio.com. Visit our website at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. West Coast Business Review, Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. 
for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Vincent, who also co-produces Comedy Fear of Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since the millennium, chances are he's probably got you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to schedule it. We need to perform a surgery. After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer. And to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the importance of fathers in children's lives and uh, that goes from uh, zero to uh, whenever the father is deceased. I mean, in other words, a child um, never stops needing his or her father, no matter how old they are. My guest is Jeffrey Loving. He's a Chicago attorney and a an international expert on fathers' rights. We were talking about the Elian Gonzalez case, and um, I wonder if you could tell us um, what you know about what has happened to Elian since he has gone back. Well, uh, he probably is living better than most children in Cuba. When I, uh, uh, Castro built a museum in his honor. Uh, he built, there's actually a, a plaza built in his honor. I think it's called the Ilian Gonzalez Plaza. And uh, there's a statue of Ilian and a porpoise in, uh, in the middle of the plaza. Uh, apparently, from what I, I've heard, Ilian has bodyguards Follow him wherever he goes to ensure he's safe. Huh. So my guess is Ilion is probably treated like a prince. Uh, so he probably has it much better than most children in Cuba. And um, have you heard from the father? I mean, is that how you know this? Or what is the last? I mean, I guess the father was ecstatic and surprised that he got him back. Yeah, the my guess is uh, probably a lot of people were surprised. Yes. Because I remember when I got involved in this case, I remember my mom told me not to get involved in it because mm-hmm. uh, I'd make out too many enemies and I'd never win. That's funny. My mother tells me about that, too. <laughs> that doesn't stop me either. <laughs> well, I, she was wrong in part because I did win, but uh, fortunately I did make some enemies in in Florida because there were many people that were upset with the, the final outcome. Mm-hmm. But it was the right outcome. I mean, boy, I would love to do a uh, a uh, psychological interview of him uh, now to know, you know, what he has to say about all of this, about his experiences um, when he was in the United States and his experiences now. I mean, obviously, that's not exactly, I mean, it's a better life, obviously, than a lot of other boys in Cuba, but 
um, it's not exactly a normal or a psychologically healthy life either to have the bodyguards following him around, but I guess that that's really important because otherwise he would be prone to being kidnapped, amongst other things. Yeah, that's a possibility, and who knows what Castro's grooming him for. Mm. And, uh, and obviously, uh, Ilian Gonzalez is probably the best-known child in Cuba. Yes. You know, and it's, of course, it's such a great, it's, it's basically a PR tool for Castro to show that, uh, you know, for all those Americans who thought that Elian would be better off staying in the States, here he's doing all these things, treating him like a prince, uh, to show that Cuba can, can be this humane. Boy, do you know what's in the, uh, is your picture in the, uh, Elian Gonzalez Museum? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I, if it was, it probably, is it in there now? I did a radio interview, and apparently I was told that there was a Cuban diplomat that thought I insulted Castro and was critical of him. So my guess is if it was, it isn't now. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. you got to wonder what, what's in there. I mean, is it pictures of, being a past, of um, Castro Elian in the United States or... Um, Elian with I mean you just wonder what he's only a little boy what could there be to uh to make a museum out of Yeah how do you build an entire museum based on one case but uh, Castro did do that and he succeeded and there's an entire mu- museum built on the Elian Gonzalez custody case and uh it's, uh it just seems very odd to me but uh uh, but uh, maybe be, it has PR value for Castro. Yes, well, absolutely. It would just be interesting to see what's in there. Yeah, I think the money spent on building that museum yes. could could have fed a lot of children in Cuba. Yes, absolutely. Well, what um, advice do you have uh, for fathers or for parents who are um, thinking about uh, getting divorced and having... Uh, I mean, obviously, the best advice is to try to make decisions between the two of you that uh, keep the best interests of the child in mind and not go through a court custody battle. That would be the best decision, but then um, what do you have to say about that? I, I believe that when parents are in conflict, they really need to call a marriage counselor or a, or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a good mediator with a strong mental health background, somebody and get involved and try and work out their differences before they call a lawyer because lawyers are trained in combat. Uh, the, you, when a lawyer is being trained to be a lawyer in law school, it's a, lawyers are tra- tra- uh, taught to function and think in an analytical and an adversarial manner. They're taught to, to fight. They're not taught to mediate. Uh, the, I, I believe that the worst thing two parents can do when they're when they're in, in in a dispute is to call a lawyer, unless something terrible is happening. If there's sexual abuse occurring, or if one parent is concealing money offshore and 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 is and is is transferring the entire estate uh, to uh, another country or to Switzerland and setting up a, a phony bank account, I mean, then it's different. Then you have to call a lawyer, but. It, but there are so many typical issues that don't involve law that shouldn't involve lawyers, and parents should try and work them out and focus on the best interests of the children uh, because in these divorce cases, the ultimate victims are, are usually the children. And why would any rational couple want to put their lawyer's 
children through college instead of their own. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and the parents get so caught up in um, winning. You know, they're usually uh, at least one who is very. They, they they're both hurt in ways that because the marriage didn't work out. But sometimes one party is is more hurt than the other, such as if one parent uh, leaves the other for another spouse for another woman or man. But um, and so they're so hurt and angry that uh, all they can think about is taking it out on their spouse and um, getting a lawyer to help them, you know, beat up the spouse even more. And really, they're they're blinded to what this is doing to their children, and they think that this it, that it isn't hurting their children, that their children don't know when in fact. The children really know everything. They're listening to those phone calls. You know, they they see the faces on the parents um, during these arguments, and and they really are being wounded more than parents actually uh, believe. And especially one of the things that bothers me so much is when uh, one of the spouses has another a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and and puts their relationship with that person above the welfare of their children and, and, you know, sort of ignores how much it hurts for that child to see that the parent is is so involved with somebody else, not their mother or father, and and not them. I just finished a case very similar to that. I was representing a a divorced dad, and his ex-wife married a police officer, and the police officer was beating uh, their son. And I ran into court. We obtained an order of protection. The case eventually settled, and now the dad has custody. And I, I just hope this law enforcement officer d- does not lay a hand on that little boy again. But uh, and and I don't know why the mother was what was on her mind. I mean, it was unbelievable. I remember in court she gave a big speech to the judge that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and obviously now she doesn't have custody. But uh, I know this is almost over, but I have a lot of good information yes. on this. On, I, I, on your website. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead and give it. It's www.dadsrights.com, D-A-D-S-R-I-G-H-T-S, dadsrights.com. Some people think it's dads, R-I-T-E-S. It isn't. It's D-A-D-S-R-I-G-H-T-S. Like legal rights, and I also just started publishing an online magazine, and the subscriptions are free, and it's called LevingsDivorceMagazine.com. And that's L-E-V-I-N-G-S DivorceMagazine.com. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeffrey Leving, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope that we have. Uh, uh, I know that you've given out some really good information, and I hope that we have both made all of you think about the value of fathers and um, obviously if two people recognize this um, then they won't be fighting over their children because they'll be thinking about what's best for that child and it's best um, to have the right balance. Well, what's really best is to have two parents in the house with children um, and, and bringing them up because children really do need two parents to have to develop in a psychologically healthy way. But when parents must divorce, then they need to do the best thing for their children, which is putting their children, uh, making their children's well-being the primary factor while they're getting divorced, not how much they want to get back at the other person for not loving them well enough. So thank you very much. Again, his um, uh, website is dadsrights.com. And uh, you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and have a very happy Father's Day. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.